Let's take our Bibles and go to our text now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. These two verses, we find several instructions for the church. Anchor Baptist Church is not a church that is owned by the pastor. Anchor Baptist Church is not a church that is owned by the people. Uh, Anchor Baptist Church belongs to the Lord. This is His church. And uh, I'm grateful that we can be stewards in His church. And we want to be faithful stewards in His church. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a church. These are what we call the Pauline epistles, letters. There are several of them. This is one of them, and it was written to the believers that lived in the area of Thessalonica. But as we know from reading our Bible, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And so it's profitable for the church at Burnaby today too. We're not in Greece right now, okay? That'd be cool. I've never been to Greece. I'd kind of like to go over there and check out Athens and all of that. But uh, we'll see if there's time. If not, we'll just see it from heaven's view. And, uh, but it's applicable to us today. Now, we're not in Paul's day, but we're in this day. In fact, we're in the church age as well. Uh, I believe we're in that uh, last week, okay, <laughs> that we just read about getting there and so forth. So, uh, but Paul writes... And at the end of the first epistle, he gives some instructions uh, to uh, the brethren, okay? And uh, there's other things that he lists in there, um, really, this whole chapter. But uh, God had us zero in on these two verses. Now, we exhort you, brethren. And so, okay, we, we recognize right away that this is written to uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it is written to the church. So if you're saved today, you know Christ is your Savior, then we really want to take heed and consider these instructions that were given uh, for the church. Notice, if you will, in verse number 14, we see first off the word we. Who is we? Who is exhorting? Now, it is Paul writing, but let's go back to uh, chapter 1. Let's go back to chapter 1 of the book. And let's take a look at some other names that show up right away in the beginning of the book, okay? Here we go. Verse 1, Paul and Silvanus. Anybody have another name for Silvanus? Otherwise known as Silas, okay? Very good. Ten points for Barry, all right? We're keeping points today. No, just kidding. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus. Anybody have another name for Timotheus? Timothy, okay. And is that your name, Timothy? Timotheus, is that your real name? Okay, Timotheus Kim. All right, here we go. And uh, so we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy that are a part of this letter. Unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm only showing you that to say that while Paul is the author, the human penman, it's, it's Paul, Silas, and Timothy who are working together to say, hello, church. In Thessalonica, in Thessalonica, uh, we've got some word. We got a word from the Lord for you, and we want you to be helped by it. So, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Then we see the word. We're not going to do this with every word, but each phrase we will. Notice we see the word exhort. The word exhort. To exhort is to to challenge someone. To 
it's, it's a strong word, actually, to it's almost a command. We exhort you. Uh, we command you. But here's the, 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 the idea of it. To exhort someone is to tell someone what they must do without sharpness or a critical spirit. Do you know how much it, uh, nicer it is when somebody tells you what to do or challenges you with what you should do and there is some compassion behind it? Con- uh, or the opposite of that would be someone who tells you what to do in a sharp, critical spirit and, uh, boy, that tongue, you know, that, that no man can tame. And so to exhort someone here, we exhort you. It was strong. It was a command, but it was done not with sharpness or a critical spirit. This exhortation that Paul is giving, it's not a suggestion. You know, in the Old Testament, we have the Ten Commandments. Have you ever read the Ten Commandments? You have the Ten Commandments? Yeah, they're not suggestions. You know, if you don't want to kill somebody, don't kill somebody. No, no, thou shalt not kill, right? And on and on they go. And so that's what this is. This is a, not a suggestion or advice. Also, the tense here of this exhortation is an urgency. You know, sometimes when we tell our kids we want you to get a project done, they are not very urgent about it. Have you ever had a child that's not very urgent about getting the trash out or getting the project done? Anybody like that? Nobody? Okay, all right. A mother raises her hand. There you go. We needed a mother to verify that. Thank you. Moms know. I mean, it's urgent to dad. It's urgent to mom. It's urgent to us. But, you know, when they're doing something else, there isn't an urgency, even though we're exhorting them, even though we're lovingly saying, you know, hey, it's time to get the, you know, the three feet of stuff in your room organized. It's piling up. You know, your rug is gone. I can't see the rug. There is a rug under there somewhere. So we need to see the rug by the end of the day. And, you know, they just carry on because it's not an urgency for them. Well, this is an urgent matter. Paul is saying, we exhort you compassionately, kindly, but this is no time to just stay sitting down. Get up and do something about it, you know, in, in, in Christian love, okay? So that's what he's saying. We exhort you. It is urgent. And I would have to say today that as we look at this text in our Bibles, even though it was written thousands of years ago, and even though it wasn't directly written to me or to you in the sense of it is written to a church, but it is written directly to us through the, through the uh, preservation of God's Word. There are things here that we need to measure in my life and measure in your life to see can we find these in our life as part of this local church or the local church that you're a part of so the list is there let's go through them quickly number one instructions for the church number one paul writes there we exhort you brethren warn them that are unruly that's instruction number one warn them that are unruly. It's just right there in your Bible. If you take notes, you can just write that down or underline that. Warn them that are unruly. Now, who are the unruly? Okay, this is a military word. This unruly is a military word speaking of someone who breaks rank. Now, you know what it means to break rank? It means that they um, uh, got out of where they were supposed to be. They set aside the orders or they 
uh, they set aside the command, they, they set aside their instructions for the day and repeatedly broke rank and repeatedly, uh, uh, in a sense of even toward their authority in their life. They are a certain rank and uh, there's de- decently in an order. And so they wanted to kind of like, uh, we might say that even back in, uh, before Adam and Eve, when, when Satan was with uh, God and he broke rank. Right? Remember when he did that? He said, I want to be like God. And God said, it doesn't work that way. So the unruly, the unruly, that's what the word, it's a military word for a soldier who breaks rank or marches out of step. The word literally means to be unarranged or out of order, disorderly. Another definition for the word unruly is a self-willed individual who demands to hold his or her own opinion or preference. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a preference. There's nothing wrong with having an opinion. Okay? But we want to be of one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.27, I think we might allude to that later. We want to be in step with our commander-in-chief. Who is our commander-in-chief? The Lord Jesus Christ is our commander-in-chief. He is the great shepherd. We want to be following the great shepherd. We want to be listening. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they what? Follow me. John chapter 10. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. We want to be listening to the voice of our shepherd. But you know, the problem with that is, the problem with that in my life is this. If I have my own opinion, or if I have my own preference, or have my own uh, way that I want to go, I want to, I, want to, I want to have it this way, and it's not the way God wants me to do it, you know what I can become? I can become unruly. I can become the place in my life where I'm the king. I'm calling the shots, you know, the king was just coronated. Yesterday, all right, over in, over in London, our London friends. And, uh, and so I say, you know what? I'm a self-appointed king. But that's not going to go very far. In fact, that's going to breed division. Remember, who's this written to? The church. Okay, it's written to the church in Paul's day, but we could say it's written to the church today too. So it's written for us. And Paul is saying, warn them that are unruly disorderly, unarranged. An example of a, something that is unarranged or disorderly or out of order is a man and a washing machine usually. Now, if you men know how to do laundry, God bless you. But you can sometimes, if a man doesn't know how to do laundry and all of a sudden he's doing laundry, there could be red clothes in there and white clothes in there and blue clothes in there and green clothes in there. And, you know, let's just, hot water, that sounds good. Let's just choose hot water. And then guess what's going to happen to some of those clothes? They're not going to be white. They're not going to be blue. They're not going to be red. They're not going to be green because that load is an unruly load. It's not in order. And sometimes, you know, I remember this at college for me. My mom did teach me how to do laundry when I was a teenager. I'm thankful for that. Thank you, mom. And, uh, but when I got to college, you know, budget was short. You only have so much money to do laundry. So everything goes in at one time. And you know what happens to that machine? It starts shaking and baking. 
It starts like, man, it's going to take off over there, Mr. Ross. I better get down there. It sounds like liftoff. Why? Because it's, it's out of order. It's not balanced. All the clothes maybe are on one side or there's too many clothes in there. And this washing machine is thinking to itself, yes, washing machines, they think too, right? And uh, what did this guy put in here? And it was a guy for sure, right? <laughs> What's going on here? Because it's, it's unruly. And eventually that machine will be out of order. <laughs> you know what? That's what happens. With that illustration in mind, a couple of thoughts in mind about the word unruly. This is what Satan is wanting to do with us. He's wanting to take us from being unruly to being out of order. It could just be some simple thing that is we're unruly about and we, we let it fester and it festers and it festers and then eventually we're completely out of order. What do you mean by out of order? Out of church. You know, Satan's goal if you're saved today, praise the Lord, you're going home someday. Amen? Amen. Going home. Going to heaven. Thank you for saying that. So he can't do anything about that, right? But you know what he wants to do? He wants to make you and he wants to make me unruly. But that's not his final objective. His final objective is to bring me from being unruly to, bring, to being completely out of order. So Paul said... Warn them that are unruly. Warn them that are out of balance. Warn them that are disorderly. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians, so a couple pages over, let's look over to a couple pages over in our Bible. These are instructions for the church. And by the way, these are instructions not just for the pastor. You know, now let's, let's just be very honest for a second here. A lot of times you and I are very sensitive people. Are you ever sensitive? Now be honest, you're in church. You can't tell me a lie, okay? The Lord's watching, all right? We're sensitive. You know what this is saying? This is saying that if I see Brother Jose is unruly, you know what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to him. But do you know what most of us, if somebody comes to us and says, I'm talking about in love, remember, um, not in uh, sternness or sharpness, but in love. Speaking the truth in love. Do you know, I'm just going to be the first one to raise my hand. Because we're so sensitive. If somebody comes and tries to warn us about something that we're doing, you know what we do? We go on the defensive. We put our hands up. We say, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. So again, this is the instructions we're trying. What do we want? We want a healthy church, don't we? We want a healthy church. And so, uh, anyway... I say that to Jose because I don't see anything that's unruly, okay? I'm not looking for unruliness, but I think he can handle my uh, illustration. Thank you, Brother Jose. You can correct me after church. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. 
For we hear that there are some which walk among you, how? Disorderly. Same idea. Saying to the church at Thessalonica, we, we, we hear that there are some that are disorderly, working not at all. Boy, mark that statement. Working not at all. What is that saying? They're doing nothing. <laughs> they're doing nothing in the church, but they're walking disorderly. They're not serving, but they're walking disorderly. They're, they're, uh, they are unruly. But our busybodies, busybodies, busybodies means they're just always concerned about what someone else needs to take care of in their life. Now, there's a, there's a, there's a balance there. The point is, the first uh, challenge from Paul, instructions to the church, is, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Do you know that... Um, I know this is going to be a shock to you, but husbands can be unruly. See, no one didn't even get an amen from any wife. Great job, guys. You guys are doing great. (laughs) That was your chance, ladies. Amen. You You know, wives can be unruly. Guys, quiet. You know better. Seriously, though, husbands, wives, children, men, women, young people, we can all become unruly. And I'm thankful that if somebody loves me enough, they are willing to come to me and say, I do love you, but I want you to know I'm really concerned about this. To not say anything to them is to not love them. As a parent, if you just let your children do everything they want to do, I know this isn't a parenting passage, it's a, but it can be incorporated into a parenting passage. If you let your child do whatever they want to do, they're going to become unruly and they're going to become out of order. Love says to them, hey, sit down, we got to talk. And so uh, I've been disorderly. I've been unruly before. Thankful for the forgiveness of God. We become unruly many times because we are out of step with the word of God. We get out of order because we are out of step with the word of God. Remember that word unruly, out of step, breaking rank. It all comes back to my relationship with God's word. You've probably heard it said before that really someone who is living in rebellion, you can immediately point and say they have no walk with God. Because you cannot walk with God... um, and, and continue in rebellion because Amos 3.3 3 says, can two walk together except they be agreed? So one of them's going to break. If I'm walking with God and I'm being rebellious, and then the Holy Spirit's going to break me and I'm going to stop being rebellious. The two can't coexist. And so I think we'll move on from there. So number one, instructions. Warning the unruly. Number two. He says, comfort, comfort the feeble-minded. I remember as a young person, you know, kind of laughing at this, you know, because this is people that are, you know, uh, you know, just crazy a little bit or, you know, it's nothing to do with somebody's mental capacity, okay? I used to joke around, you know, as a teenager, you know, comfort the feeble-minded. Let's see, who's, 
who in the youth group has, you know, the most deficiency here mentally? And so, um, again, I'm speaking as a teenager, not a 49-year-old. I think hopefully I've grown up a little bit, not much. But anyway, but it has nothing to do with mentality. It actually means someone who is faint of heart. Now we can all say, oh, okay, yeah, been there before. Faint of heart. Everyone has found themselves in this frame of mind, feeble-minded. It could be when all of a sudden something happened in your life that you did not plan to happen. And you immediately become feeble-minded. You become faint of heart. It happens. It happens to the most mature Christian. It happens to a brand new Christian. It happens sometimes expectantly, but it happens many times unexpectedly. These are the ones who Paul is saying, we need to comfort the faint-hearted, comfort the feeble-minded. They are the ones who are prone at that moment. They are prone at that moment. Someone who is feeble-minded is prone at that moment to say, I quit. Have you ever been there? Hard to admit it, but I quit. In other words, that's it. <laughs> you know, the Christian life, I know God loves me. Maybe, I, I, maybe God loves me. I just can't handle it anymore. I quit. Again, disorderly, unruly, God's plan is out of order. Satan's plan is, okay, God, you, I'm watching what God does. He does watch what God does. So now someone is feeble-minded. Something has happened. And you know what Satan's plan is? Out of order. That's why we have a church. In all of these, we have a church that should be willing to say, in the first case, should be willing to say, hey, you know what? can we go for coffee? And I should be willing to listen to that person and not take it as a judgment, but as someone who loves me. And the second one is the same reason. Hey, can we go for coffee? I just want you to know, I know that the load has been heavy in your life and these things have gone on and I want you to know, I'm in your corner, I'm praying for you. I love you in the Lord, comforting the faint-hearted because Satan's goal is to take someone who's faint of heart and just say, I quit. No one is immune to being feeble-minded, folks. Again, it has nothing to do with the capacity of mind. No one is immune to the all of a sudden you know, uh, uh, information coming into their life. And again, this is why we have a local church. This is not the only reason why, but God's really laid this on my heart that this is why we have a local church. It isn't to come and hear me speak three times a week. That's not the only reason we have church. Please don't think, I don't think that. You should never think that. It's part of it. But there's so much more. There's so much more that God has in His church for you and for me. And this is what Paul is saying. Brethren, you've got to do this in the church. You've got to warn the unruly. You've got to comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort, what does it mean to comfort? Okay, It means to draw alongside, to draw alongside and instruct. Now, it might mean to draw alongside and be quiet. You know, I've tried to comfort before, and I can just, the words are coming out, and I'm thinking, I need to just be quiet. 
I'm really grabbing for words, but maybe I just need to shut up. Sorry, I'm talking about me. I need to just shut up and just be beside someone and just be there and say nothing and pray. Sometimes that's a greater value than just, you know, Polly want a cracker and just trying to run off all kinds of words. And they don't need that. I don't need that, you know. But here's the instruction to comfort, to draw alongside. Uh, another, another idea, it's another word that this word comfort is translated from is the word encourage or to console. To encourage. What does to encourage mean? It's simple. It means to give courage. To give courage. I like that statement, I believe in you. I don't, I don't think that's a prideful thing. Or I'm with you or something. I don't know. But that just encourages us. Praise the Lord, we're not alone. The Lord is always with us. Christ, through the Spirit of God, is always with us. And I'm not, I am wholeheartedly aware of that. But do you know sometimes, because we are flesh it helps when we have someone with skin on who says, I'm right here. I'm right here. Comforting. The feeble-minded. Okay, let's move on. Where are you in these, right? Where are you? I'm just saying, if you're part of the church, now we have visitors here today. Maybe you have a church that you're a part of. Maybe you're looking for a church. We'll pray with you about that. But this is, the, this is the response. It doesn't matter if it's Anchor Baptist Church, Seattle Baptist Church, or whatever, whatever church it is. This is for all of us as believers. Number three, Paul said to support the weak. You see it there? Verse 14. Support the weak. Okay, again, does this mean they have no muscles or what? No, this isn't what it's talking about. The weak are those who are not mature in the Lord. Why are they weak? Here's why they're weak. Because they're babies. That's not, a, that's not a slight. Because all of us in this room, at one time, were babies. And I'm not talking about, you know, this kind of baby. We were all babies. When I got saved, I was a baby. When you got saved, you were a a baby, a babe in Christ. So I was weak. You were weak. Maybe you're in that category today. And again, it is not a slight. It's not a slight. It's not saying you are insignificant, whatever, whatever. It's just saying that every church should have weak people in it. Do you not agree with that? Think about it. If we don't have weak people, that means we don't have new Christians. A church that doesn't have any new Christians is only years away from dying. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know this. I pray that Anchor Baptist Church, when the trumpet sounds and we read that, I pray that Anchor Baptist Church is thriving, advancing, going forward for Christ, whether it's 50 people, 500 people, or whatever, that doesn't matter, that we're faithfully serving the Lord, going forward for Christ. We've got weak people, we've got growing people, we've got mature people. All of these are involved in the mix. That's what it ought to be. And he says, here's what you do to the weak people. You don't kick them. You don't bash them. You support them. You remember when you got supported? 
I'm not talking about cash. I'm talking about the support when you were new in Christ. When you were a babe in Christ, new believers need support. New believers need to be helped and supported until they can walk in the Lord on their own. You think about, and I am in no way a builder. We have builders in the room, and I'm sure you could do a lot of better job of explaining this. But uh, these, 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 the framework of a of a uh, of a of the of the roof, the framing, those boards are coming together to give support with the with the um, uh, the braces. And so they're coming together in such a way that they support one another. Do you know what these, have you ever wondered what this pole is that Ezra likes to be on and some of the other kids? And it's fine, I'm not correcting Ezra. Uh, I'm glad they can enjoy that pole. I would do it too if I was his size. You saw me doing it, you'd probably never come back. So, Do you know what that pole is? It's not just there for looks. That pole is actually holding up the floor that we're on right now. That pole. And there's, there's other ones along this line. There's one back there, you know the pole in Brother Kevin's office? Same thing. It's holding up. It's supporting the very floor that we're standing. So if we cut that pole out, hang on, because we're going for a ride. You know what? There are weak people who need poles like that, which are people like you and me who've maybe been saved, maybe even just a little bit longer. But we say, you know what? I'm going to support you. I want to I wanna, uh, help build your faith in the things of the Lord. Discipleship, fellowship, to support someone is to brace them up because they cannot stand the weight of life on their own. And we are assisting them. They were helping them only so that at, at some point in time, the goal, it doesn't mean that they can't do it on their own, but there is a time that the, that the, the building will be able to stand on its own. Or a life will be able to stand on her own or his own. And then guess what gets to happen? They get to do the same thing for the next weak person. This is the church. This is a healthy church. Not a perfect church. But a healthy one that says, okay, sometime I might have to warn the unruly. I don't like that. I don't like that confrontation. Sometime I might have to comfort feeble-minded then sometime I might need to help support the weak, help a new brother in Christ. Then let's see what he says next. Be patient toward all men. I wrote this down. Patience isn't difficult to understand. But patience is very difficult to practice. We understand what it means to be patient. I think everybody in here does. But to practice it, wow. But this is within the context of the local church, but you could even bring this in the context of your marriage, in the context of your home, in the context of your business. I believe we can make that application. There are multiple applications to every text in the Word of God. There is a primary application, local church, but I believe you could bring this application into every area of your life. See, the idea of patience is rapidly uh, decreasing in our culture and society. We want it, and we want it now. We don't like to wait for anything. Yet, if we are to be like the Lord, we must be patient. I'm so thankful God is patient. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, 
but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. 2 Peter 3.9. What does being patient mean? It kind of goes along with, with helping the weak. Being patient means investing time in the life of others. You know, think about it. When is the last time we've invested any time in someone outside of our family? Now, our family is very important. It is most important. I will say that. I firmly believe that. But it does not mean that we should have no time for the family of God. We should have time for the family. That's how we are patient. That's how we're supporting. Being patient means forgiving. Has anybody ever offended you? Yes, they have. I might have offended you. You might have offended me. Being patient is saying, you know what? I'm willing to forgive and move on. Easier said than done. I recognize that. True Christianity will be seen when we patiently love and help difficult people. I say that with a little chuckle. I know I can be very difficult at times. This is my wife if you're visiting. I can be very difficult. So I'm going to just start it off with me, all right? Wait a minute. You changed the rules since last week, honey. Come on. This is her to me, okay? She never said that. I'm just... But all of us can be difficult. So to be patient is to be helpful to someone who's difficult. Within the local church, this is within the local church. It's okay. I'm so glad you're not like me and I'm not like you. I'm so glad that it wasn't just everybody's like whoever in the room, okay? We're all different. Praise the Lord. Amen. Be patient. One more. Verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good. So the instruction is, by to do what is good. Just a simple statement. To do what is good. To pursue good. Pursue good. James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James 4.17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. So here's the instructions for Anchor Baptist Church. Now they're pretty much laid out. God wrote them. I just have brought them out and said, here, God's been speaking to me about these. So these are the instructions from God for our church. Now, what are we going to do about it? If we just close our Bibles and say, that's great. Thessalonians, you needed it. Burnaby doesn't. We're going to miss something. Because Burnaby needs it. Anchor Baptist Church needs it. We need these instructions to be the church that that God has established. What does it mean to do good? Well, James reminds us in these two verses that I read just a moment ago, James 1.22 and James 4.17, it is to behave biblically. Behave biblically. Now, there is something that would revolutionize every area of our life. What did Paul write? Look what Paul wrote in verse 15. See that none render evil for evil. Now, he's writing to Christians. Don't render evil for evil. They obviously needed it. So do I. See, it is a reminder of who and what we are. We need to be reminded, do good unto all men. Why? Because that's not our nature. 
Our nature is, I'm going to get even. But God says, don't get even, do good. Don't render evil for evil. But see, that's our nature. That's why he had to say, don't do what your flesh wants to do. Do what the Spirit says to do, and that is to do good no matter what. I think it's Romans. Oh boy, here we go. Romans 12? Ooh, I just, what happened? My voice. I could have sang up there with Brother Carlos on that note, right, Brother Carlos? My voice just went really high all of a sudden. Yeah, there it is. Praise the Lord for a memory. It's still there. Romans 12, 21. Mark it in your heart. Mark it in your Bible. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. There it is. Well, I would make a note right there and say 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 15, because those connect with one another. And that's, that's what we need in the church. Yes, sadly, sometimes it starts with a brother, it starts with a sister, but it doesn't have to continue. It can stop right there. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. We were just there in that chapter, so if you go up two verses. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So here are our instructions this morning for the church. Number one, may God help us to be willing to warn the unruly. May God help us to comfort the feeble-minded, to support the weak, to be patient, and to always strive to do what is good. You see, if we find these qualities in our life, and I must say I I don't have them all at the level I want to have them, but as we find these qualities in our life, we are finding that we are growing in grace. Okay? So so maybe, maybe there's somebody in here this morning. You're weak. You're a new Christian. I'm so glad you're here. Please don't take that as an insult because everybody around you that may not be weak, I'm saying weak in age, of being saved, was once weak. So we want to support you, encourage you. Somebody comes up to you lovingly with with something about an unruliness, please don't immediately go in defense mode. Let's be mature. Let's be willing to think and say, you know what, okay. You know, sometimes people have said stuff to me that was completely wrong, but you know what? I still can learn from that. You don't have to always be right in the sight of, you can take it, right? You can swallow. You don't have to say something right back. But that's what we want to do. Like we want to be, Paul said, I exhort you. Warn the unruly. Comfort the feeble mind. Support the weak. Do good. And so we want this at Anchor Baptist Church. It's my desire that I have these qualities in my life because I'm just one of the church. And tonight, this morning, you're a part of Anchor Baptist Church. We're all just one. But you can imagine if we all would take these five things 
incorporate them into our life. How much more glory, God? 